Hurts takes the snap. The Chiefs only rushing two on a delay. Clock is going to be out of time, and the pass is going to be underthrown. It's incomplete. It's incomplete. Everyone, everyone who claims the Chiefs kingdom will raise a banner above the National Football League again for the second time in four seasons. The Lombardi Trophy has a red and gold reflection, a big red reflection. The Chiefs are champions of Super Bowl 57. Okay, so if aliens are in fact visiting Earth right now, as various government officials can neither confirm nor deny, apparently, they picked a real good part of the sports calendar to invade. Because our extraterrestrial visitors just saw the most gifted quarterback we have ever had. With a genuine thriller that shifted multiple professional legacies. They saw one of the most inflammatory penalties in Super Bowl history spark the furious climbing of so many greasy Philadelphia lampposts. They saw Rihanna. But today, we ask our friend Alex Smith, the quarterback who knows Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid better than anyone, to walk us through what he saw in the last game of the year and what it all really means down here on Earth. I'm Pablo Torre. It's Monday, February 13th, and this is ESPN Daily. Delicious meat nutritious. In the snack that packs a real protein punch, wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one-ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Trust me, I've been eating them like there's no tomorrow all week. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you, like me, are on the go a lot. Taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries, whatever it may be. Well, the good news is, not only are Wonderful Pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut, or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more. Alex Smith, the Super Bowl doesn't always deliver like this. And I should say for anybody in the city of Philadelphia or its suburbs right now, um, we will get to why it does not feel like anything was fairly delivered. Um, But man, for 58 plus minutes at least, Alex Smith, what did you see? Paulo, this was like the greatest movie I've ever seen with the absolute worst ending possible. <laughs> like I, I just thought it was an absolute masterpiece. Uh, unbelievable. All the way around, it was just fascinating to watch. I think a lot of us felt like, I mean, listen, these were the two best offenses in the NFL, um, that it would be a high-scoring game. Yes. You know, and I, I don't think we saw the theatrics necessarily, you know, a hurt ankle that looked even potentially worse than the first one on Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. I, I, really crazy fluky fumble 
the the only mistake Jalen Hurts made, which resulted into a uh, you know a scoop and score for the Kansas City Chiefs, and you know there's kind of this wild um, ups and downs throughout the entire game, and it it you know it netted us at a 35-35 tie, and it was just this epic epic game, like you said, for 58 minutes, and obviously we'll get to the the final the final couple, which were a complete letdown, um, but it, it, there were some unreal performances, unreal performances, even I mean. On the losing side, to, like to think about what Jalen Hurts did today in a losing effort is it was absurd. Oh I mean, God. he played. <laughs> I mean, literally, he almost played flawless. He had one goofy, goofy mistake, and it and it was a big one. But other than that, he played unreal. He was a one man wrecking crew. No one had run for as many touchdowns three at quarterback as he did tonight. Yeah, set a record uh, for three rushing touchdowns. Threw for over three hundred yards. I mean, just had an unreal performance and really showed. I think that he belongs in the discussion for for the most elite quarterbacks in the league, um, and and again to do it on that on that stage, it's tough. Look, we'll we'll get to the Patrick Mahomes part of this. We'll get to your perspective on this, which is unique because again, you have this intimate history with this team and with that quarterback as the guy who was playing ahead of him on the depth chart for a while. But the reason that we are delivering praise with a somber tone about Jalen Hurts is because of the call at the end. And this was a game that got decided, essentially, truly decided on a defensive holding call on James Bradbury, the Philly defensive back, on third down and eight with just under two minutes left. Mahomes takes the snap. He's back. He is firing. And it is incomplete, but there's a penalty flag thrown. The pass was intended for Smith-Schuster on the far side of the field, but the flag came, and I think it's going to be defensive holding against the... And, and that call in specific, when you saw it, what did you think? For any kind of holding call, offensive holding or defensive holding, if you really wanted to, you could probably throw a flag almost on every play in the NFL, if you really wanted to. Now, certainly, we've all seen defensive holding calls that are that are clear and obvious. We've all seen offensive holding calls that are clear and obvious. I mean, this play, third and eight at the 15-yard line with 154 left in a tied ball game. I mean, this the whole world knew this. If, if the Chiefs got this first down, it's game over. And yep. I, there were multiple... First of all, I thought the actual holding call itself was questionable in the sense... It also happened, in my perspective, at the line of scrimmage. I mean, this was a route. Juju Smith-Schuster, for everybody listening that didn't they didn't see this for some reason, is at the top of the screen, and he's lined up off the ball. So he's not an on-the-ball receiver. So he motions, motions down, and the Chiefs are trying to run a counter to, uh, to, to a play they scored twice on earlier in, in, in the second half. He's coming down in motion. He's a full yard and a half off the ball, and he, he, runs, he literally runs this whip route with James Bradbury covering him. Uh, he he couldn't have made him a yard past the line of scrimmage. It, it it would be impossible, and that really I'm saying all this because that has a lot to do with the defensive holding call. There there is a few yard buffer here for for defenders to be physical with receivers. Mm. Um, and, and listen, these are two big guys, both of them, um, that, that were bumping each other at the line of scrimmage. Patrick was under duress at this time and heaved a ball away smartly threw it away and threw it away in the vicinity of one of his receivers. But I mean, he threw this ball 15 yards over Juju Smith-Schuster's head 
Um, and it just, it, it seemed like a late call. I couldn't believe that the refs didn't get together and use better judgment and just say, hey, I, I know what that looked like, but I really don't think we want to do that right here. I hated it for that reason, because unsaid in the job of a referee, but obvious to anybody who's ever watched, let alone played sports, is the fact that referees are supposed to have a sense of time and score and place and context. And there is a little bit of an unsaid like television producing, yeah. as unfair as that may sound, to their judgment calls. And this was a call that was just like, I, it was brutal. It just took it took away the drama that we all were like literally salivating over. I thought we yeah that we all deserved to get you know and regardless if we if we were gonna get overtime, which it very well could have been headed towards that, but we were gonna get an amazing ending, and we were gonna get you know Pat got his shot and and put an absolute ridiculous drive together. The scramble for the biggest play in the game, I think it was for 26 yards, to get him down into field goal range was unreal on the hobbled angle. But I, I do want to address like how we got to this point, actually. Because the reason it was so dramatic was not because of what happened in the first half. It's what the Chiefs did in the second half because they trailed, Alex, 24 to 14 at the half. And the half they played after that... <laughs> How would you describe what you saw from this offense that you used to run as they assembled, I believe, no penalties, no turnovers, no punts, no sacks, one incompletion, which was a throwaway? How did this happen so radically differently? You know, I mean, they actually had the football. I mean, in the first half, they were they, they, <laughs> they were spectators for most of the first half, Pablo. I think they had the ball for about eight minutes. And besides their first two drives, they had a three and out, and other than that, they watched the Eagles' offense move the ball up and down the field. Having the ball does seem important now that you mention it. Yeah, and and actually, and I and I don't think the Eagles did this intentionally, but they did. Such, they did an amazing job of of essentially playing keep away uh, from the NFL's MVP for most of the first half. So in the second half, they came out, and I really think um, that there's there's a lot here we got to dive into. They finally started running the football again. I thought in the opening drive of the game, we saw a big dose of Isaiah Pacheco, the young rookie physical running back um, for the Chiefs, and they mixed it really well. They were mixing it, run and pass, you know, really staying balanced. And then I felt like they kind of got away from that a little bit. In the second half, I, I thought they came back to it. They stayed patient. Even though they were down 10, they came back to the running game. I thought it kind of settled down this offensive line. Um, they, they picked their spots uh, with, with Pat, and they really kept themselves out at – any third and longs. I mean, I, I think they had a third and one, a third and three, um, another third and four later on their on their other drives. Like, there were only a couple of them. Nothing got out of hand. They never put themselves behind the chains. Um, and and I really think it started up front for all the talk of this Eagles defensive line and how dominant they have been and right. record-setting they've been. This Kansas City offensive line gave up zero sacks, Pablo. Zero. Mm. They also outrushed... Mm the Philadelphia offense, um, and by a lot. They buy a total of 158 uh, to Philly's 115. And so I, I really thought it was that balance in the second half that, that really kick-started them. And then when it mattered most on their first three drives of the second half, they got three touchdowns in the red zone, and they were all critical. You know, one was the touchdown run, again, uh, by the kid I've been talking about, uh, Pacheco, and then two touchdown passes to two kind of guys we haven't talked a lot about. One to Kadarius Tony on a third down, and then the other one to Sky Moore. Yep. And I think this, that also has to be said, that, that 
this has been a common um, kind of topic with the Chiefs is they've, they've really had different guys besides Kelsey week in and week out come up big for them at, at different times. Today it was Juju Smith-Schuster. He played well. Sky Moore, again, coming up big in the red zone. Kadarius Toney with the longest punt return in Super Bowl history, which set up the third touchdown in the second half. That really, all of a sudden, in the blink of an eye, Kansas City was down 10 at the start things, and it, and it seemed just like that, that, that all of a sudden they, they were up. Um, and it was, you know, it happened fast. And the, the use of motion, Alex, help me understand why it felt like the Eagles were confused by this, because this is the thing that the Chiefs do better than anybody, more often than anybody it feels like, and yet it seemed to catch this defense, which is excellent by surprise. Yeah, all three of Patrick Mahomes' touchdown passes uh, tonight involved motion. The first one with Travis Kelsey, uh, motion down into a stack. It really bumped off at that time. He was matched up with Darius Slay. It bumped him off, got him the matchup they wanted uh, with, with uh, Maddox underneath, and then they hit him with a double move. Mahomes in the pocket, floats a pass near side. Kelsey over the shoulder. He's got the catch. He's got the touchdown. Kansas City, a beautifully thrown ball. And it was a, a, a lot to do with the pre-snap tell of, of Kelsey outside, who's lined up with him. You motion him down into this stack. And, and defenses have to make adjustments on the fly. And a lot of times the communication is not fluid, right? Like in that moment when Kelsey comes down into the stack, those two defenders on that side of the ball have to communicate who's guarding who. Um, but on this one, it, the Chiefs got the matchup they wanted and, and they hit it. Well, to go to skip now to the second half and the two touchdown passes again to Kadarius Tony and Sky Moore were both very similar in the sense these were both off the ball receivers. Just prior to the snap, Patrick's going to motion them in towards the ball, right? And at the same time, if you're, a, if you're a defender, you can be up on these guys and be pressed. But as soon as they motion down, you have to back up, right? Because you have no idea where they're going. Both these guys, both have taken jet sweeps across the line of scrimmage. They're both kind of gadget guys. So you, you really, uh, as a defender, have to give yourself some space to get ready for what may happen. Well, at the snap, as they're coming down with speed, Pat snaps the ball, and both these guys ran little fake crossing routes. And these are also signature routes of the West Coast offense. Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs run a ton of these. They're called a drive route. Um, this goes back to the origins of the West Coast, all the way back to Bill Walsh, when, when they called it a flanker drive, when they actually had a flanker position. I don't even know what a flanker is, Pablo. <laughs> it does seem like, yeah, very leather helmety in terminology. Yeah. Andy still calls it flanker drive to this day. And I would always give him for it. I'm like, Andy, we don't have a flanker. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> anyway, these two guys <laughs> um, coming down. And so the drive route is where you basically, I mean, it's a shallow crossing route all the way across the field. And you're doing it full speed, right? The idea is to run away from your defender. So that's essentially what the Chiefs are faking here, right? They're motioning down both these receivers with speed, hitting it at the snap. And both of them are faking like they're going to run a shallow cross, a drive route across the field. <clears throat> this obviously gets the DB. The DB has to match this, right? So he's got to get on his horse. And he's prepared himself to run with this receiver. Again, across the field, it's 53 yards wide. I mean, it's a big field. you got to cover them all the way over to the far pylon. Mm. Well, both of them at the snap. I mean, sorry, after a couple steps, put their foot in the ground and wheel back out of it. And it's just such, it's just such a hard route to defend, especially down here. Yep. 
one direction, then another direction, and yep. they seem confused by the fact that you could change directions another and on time. Both, and on both cases, it got the Eagles' defense really confused. They were trying to make adjustments on the fly, combined with great route running and a great play call, um, and both of them resulted in, in just walk-in touchdowns. You and I could have thrown both of these touchdowns. As amazing, <laughs> as, amazing as Pat is, these two, you got to give a lot of credit to the again to Andy Reid. Great, great calls. I mean, great route running by both these guys, selling them and, and getting out of their breaks. Yeah, I would have flanked the hell out of that play. I think that's what Damn Andy right. would have wanted me to do. Uh, but wait, <laughs> hold on. Speaking speaking of you operating uh, in front of a crowd, um, this is funny because you were in Phoenix this past week. You are something of a political figure as a former quarterback of this team, and you know you got in front of the assembled faithful and you got on the mic and you happen to say this about Patrick Mahomes. I don't think any of this, these Philadelphia fans nor the Philadelphia defense has seen anything like Patrick. And I just want to point out that as much as this is in part great theater, it's also something that we have to reckon with in a real sense, because I don't know how much, I don't know how many times we've gotten on this show and said, yet again, Patrick has impressed us. But it feels like this is yet another, not just another level because obviously he won a second Super Bowl, second Super Bowl MVP. I'm just curious what you learned by watching him in this game that you didn't know before, if anything. In a lot of ways, I actually think Again, this was an incredibly gutsy performance. A, a guy on an injured ankle versus one of the best teams in football. One of the you know one of the best defensive lines in football. Certainly the best one this year. And just the guts to stand in there um, for an entire half, down ten. You know, just without blinking, lead your team back. Uh, th there were numerous big throws he made standing in the pocket. The guy in, guy in his face and, and put the ball on the money. And um, I think a lot of it, he, he did just operating the offense. You know, and I think this is kind of the evolution and maturity of Patrick Mahomes. We're, we're so accustomed to seeing the heroics, um, the highlight reel plays. And I think he even, if we think back to a couple of years ago in the Super Bowl versus Tampa Bay, I think tried to force the force the issue too much. Um and and, and certainly that was their, their offensive line was overmatched in that game. But I, I I do really think there were times when he tried to single handedly, you know, turn the tide. And and I, I think what we saw tonight uh, was just a much more mature player. Um trust in the guys around him. I mean here he was clearly at a not not at a hundred percent. Um but also the ability to adapt his game. You know, that I, okay, well, I can, I can sit in the pocket and, and I can deal this way and I'll still beat you. Right. Um, and then again, in the fourth quarter, the last couple drives, uh, especially the last drive, uh, to make the scramble plays again with the game on the line on that ankle, uh, we're just unreal. He, he is, he, I mean, and I don't think, I don't think there's a lot of debate in this. I, I, I think he's the most talented guy to ever play the position. It's not just that, though, is what I'm getting at. It's not just the talent. Um, it's the processing. It's the brains. It's his ability, again, uh, 
on a whim. He looked great in that in that first half before he hurt his ankle, and then to adapt over a, a Rihanna halftime, and and to come out and play and play a completely different style of game because he wasn't the same player. Uh, but guess what? Uh, it, it was still good enough to to get the win, and and, and there, there's just not many guys that can do that. Uh, he may be the only one. All right, Alex, after the break, we get to why this game was so damn close and how your least favorite play was very prominently involved. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom. Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time, or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So Alex, before we place all of this in historical context, before we take a trip down memory lane with you, um, I do want to talk about the way that this almost went because there's a world that altered a timeline where that flag is not thrown. Jalen Hurts gets to have his rebuttal and it's a non-zero shot that he goes seven for seven, I believe, on quarterback sneaks. (laughs) The least favorite play to your taste in football. But the way they do it, just again to catch people up, it's different, right? It's the two-cheek push. Um... Explain what you saw as this weapon became like actually unstoppable in the Super Bowl. I mean, it was it was perfect. It was 100%. And I, they just kept running it and running it tonight. They execute it so well. The design of it's so great. I mean, the offensive line are about six inches off the ground in their stance, in their four-point stances. <laughs> they are so low. Their pad level so low. You know, they got a, they have a quarterback that squats 600 pounds. Yeah, and then they got a bunch of guys behind him. You could see the frustration it caused the Chiefs. Like anything they tried, I mean, try to get lower than him, that didn't work. I mean, Chris Jones at one point jumped over the defensive line, over drilled (laughs) Jalen Hurts in the face, and and they still got carried a couple yards for the first down. I mean, I I can't believe I'm saying this. It it really, it really, it was a weapon. It has been all year, and it definitely was tonight to just. To know that every time you get into short yardage, you you virtually 99.9% of the time are going to get the first. Right. You're playing with four downs every single time, and it's 
apparently 100% of the time going to convert. Yeah, whenever you try it. I can bet you when we talk next next year, there will be a lot of teams imitating this and there will be a lot of teams practicing how to try and somehow come up with something to stop it. I'm, I'm not sure what that'll look like. I don't know how, but they're going to, no doubt that this is going to be a subject of rules debates as it already is sort of apparently behind the scenes. Um, the Athletic reported on that, like teams elsewhere hate this, as you can imagine. Um, but yeah, it, it, it just feels like the exception that proves your rule. It does. Like they figured out how to do the QB sneak so well. I am not too proud to admit this. As a, uh, you know, an open hater of the QB sneak, <laughs> <laughs> they do it really well. Theirs is amazing. And again, it was, it was uh, undefeated tonight. It is very old school uh, in, as a, you know. No, uh, turning their quarterback into a battering ram that you push up on his butt cheeks to get over the line <laughs> behind the best O-line in the, in the NFL is a ridiculous thing that feels like, yes, it's from the era of flankers, to your point. Yeah, ex exactly. I, I, love, I love how this season we got full circle on the QB sneak, but hold on, okay. The other thing that we entered this season with was the big question of, like, the Chiefs without Tyreek Hill. Um, and, you know, wait, Denver has Russell Wilson now, and the Raiders got Devontae Adams now, and none of it seemed to matter. Here we are, again, with the Chiefs winning a Super Bowl. What is your assessment of why it is that this movie, despite all of the twists and turns, ended in a way that felt remarkably familiar. <laughs> There's no way you can argue that any offense wouldn't be better with Tyreek Hill. He is that caliber of player. Mm -hmm. There's not an offense in the league that wouldn't be better with him. With that being said, when they couldn't get a deal done, a contract done with him, and they decided to trade him away, and they got draft picks in return, and then all of a sudden they get to allocate all that cap space Elsewhere, they draft this guy more in the second round. They signed MVS. They, you know, they got Juju Smith-Schuster. McCole Hardman was coming back. Um, they traded for Kadarius Toney. Um, they, they really have a host of, of players that they brought in. In some ways, I actually think it makes them harder to defend. Because if you think about, you know, the Cincinnati Bengals, for instance, you know, if if you're going to play defense against them and and you're a defensive coordinator trying to stop them. The offense really goes through two two people, right? You got to stop Jamar Chase, uh, mm -hmm. and you got to stop T. Higgins, and it really kind of makes life easy on you from a, a you know from a scheme perspective. And that was very much what happened to the Chiefs the last couple of years, right? You've got Tyreek Hill, you're going to try and get him the ball, and therefore a lot of the offense is going to naturally try and flow through him. And even Pat, we saw at times forcing the ball to him. Mm. Well, if your defense is playing them right, it was like double Kelsey, double Tyreek. So much of that offensive game plan flowed through those two guys. This was your offensive game yeah. plan oh, yeah. also, to be clear. Yeah, no, it was. <laughs> <laughs> Again, to go back, if you were coming off the AFC Championship game, you know, certainly Kelsey's always been a guy you got to stop, but you're like, well, we got to stop. We got to stop Marquez Valdez-Scanley, right? He just, he just went for how many catches and over 100 yards and a touchdown. He didn't have a catch tonight. He got one target and he didn't catch it. They throw the ball to a, a ton of different guys. How many weeks have we come on? And like eight, nine, ten guys, of different guys have caught balls. I, th I think with that, it's made Patrick Mahomes, you know, 
again, it's kind of been part of his development, right? Certainly he has a, a, an unreal uh, relationship with Travis Kelsey, but he's really had to rely on a lot of these other guys. You don't have the luxury of, of having the cheetah, <laughs> you know? Um, so crazy as it sounds, again, with my headline statement, there's not an offense they wouldn't take Tyreek. I think a year later, they are harder to defend uh, because they have they have way more contributors on the offensive side of the ball. And then I also think Patrick's grown from it as well. Well, it just it's what's crazy when you think back to to why this was such a question. It's also because this was supposed to be like the rebuild year, insofar as the Chiefs ever have one, and they won the Super Bowl. And I, I just want to go back in the time machine for a second here. Because when we talk about Mahomes, I'm just wondering when you think back to when you first realized that like, oh, this is not your typical like star quarterback. He is special in ways as he is backing you up on the death chart. What was the thing that sort of tipped you to, I should probably keep my eye on this kid doing some stuff that we have not seen before historically? Certainly, I think that the the nail in the coffin for my for my time in Kansas City was <laughs> was his start the, as the regular season finale against the Broncos. You know, we had we couldn't get a better seed. We had essentially cemented our spot. So, week seventeen, he got the start when we went to Denver, and you know, it's his first start of his career. But you could see his ability to go out and process information and play fast. And it's all the it's all the little things. It's getting the, getting the guys in and out of the huddle, up to the line, making adjustments at the line of scrimmage, especially protection adjustments. You're going out there. You're gathering information as a quarterback. You gather information pre-snap. You gather information post-snap. You got to take all that in. You got to know what you're looking at. And all of that has to help you speed up your processing, right, so that you can play a step ahead. And it was very clear that Patrick had that. We've all talked about it. It's hard to come up with more, you know enough adjectives that do him justice. To go back to a couple of years ago, as special as Patrick is, when they played Tampa Bay in the Super Bowl and you couldn't protect him and you couldn't even give him a fighting chance, I think it was a big wake-up call for as talented as he is, they, they got to help him up front. And they made deliberate changes after that game, that offseason. They went, they traded for Orlando Brown. They signed Thune in front. They, they drafted Creed Humphrey. They drafted Trey Smith. And that, those moves here two years later, I mean, I, I think are also at the core of this championship, um, this Super Bowl championship. They're also at the core of Pat raising another Super Bowl MVP because, uh, again, that's probably more important for a guy that talented than having Tyreek with him. So let's talk about Andy because this is another guy you know as well as anybody. You mentioned him just then. Andy Reid beating his old team, Doing it this way, what do you think this meant to him? And to put him in context as to what makes him special and great in his own sort of like historical sense, how do you explain Andy Reid now that we have him winning another? I mean, first off, uh, Andy post game. You know, I mean, the, the guy, I mean, he, he gave everybody else credit but himself. Um, and that's just the type of guy he is. Uh, I, I think he's top five, basically, in every major category as far as wins. Super Bowl is excluded from that. Mm -hmm. 
but but I think this win, and he he doesn't want to talk about legacy or hear about it. I do think it changes his legacy. I agree. I think this puts him in a category. I mean, I think this Chiefs team with Patrick, all of a sudden, this is it, it, they are going to be the iconic team of this era, right? You, we, we are going to remember them as such. They hosted five straight AFC championships. Uh, they, they've gone to three Super Bowls in four years. They've won two in four years. Um, you know, Patrick is, is again, arguably the, the, the greatest talent we've seen play the position, maybe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and he's behind all of that. I mean, Andy's the, one, the guy that went and got him and moved up in the draft to go get him. Um, again, a very raw product at that point. Uh, and, he, I mean, he put it all together. And for an older coach, we love to talk about these young, innovative coaches, right? A- a- Andy's this old, innovative coach. This guy is constantly changing. He has this whiteboard, this giant whiteboard. It makes up basically the whole wall in his office. And this guy just is constantly experimenting with things. If he sees something on tape he likes, he could be watching, I mean, D3, tiny school you've never heard of. If they run something cool, he's going to drive it up on his board and, and you'll probably be running it in OTAs. This isn't a guy that, that learned the West Coast playbook 25 years ago and is running the same version. This offense has looked different right? Um, you know, from when he was coaching Brett Favre to when it was Donovan McNabb or Mike Vick or myself. And it certainly looks a whole lot different now with, with Patrick at the helm. And he's kind of the mastermind of all that. And so to now one, two, as accomplished as he is, I, I do think this this puts him into a, the upper echelon of coaches and, and how we think about them, you know, certainly up there with the greats. The, you know, you're talking about candidates for the Mount Rushmore of coaches. I mean, he's on that list. Alex, it occurs to me that we have now officially finished this NFL season. And this is surreal. I, I feel like invariably, of course, I get to sort of digging in on how your life intersected with the lives of these people that we just talked about, how your suffering enabled this dynasty, um, how all of that is true. And I'm just wondering how you feel at the end here. You're about to collapse across the finish line as soon as we say thank you to each other. So how you doing, man? I, I'm doing good. I've, I, I continue to uh, enjoy this more and more, this uh, this new profession of mine. Um, I'm still trying to figure it out. I, I love our conversations and I love being able to hang with you, Pablo. Um, again, I mean, I think I'm like a lot of people. That was a, the, one of the highlights of the year, if you like football, uh, was tonight. And it was, it was a great show. It was a great spectacle. Um, great performances and competitiveness. And, uh, you know, I was obviously glad to just, uh, yeah, to be able to take it in. So uh, until, until next time. We didn't get the precise movie that we wanted, but we at ESPN Daily got the movie critic that we wanted so thank you for everything you did for us all year long man i appreciate it pablo thanks as always man i'm pablo torre this has been espn daily and i'll talk to you tomorrow 